Girardi seemingly had it all. He was a celebrated plaintiff's attorney with a winning record and a famous wife who was a rising star of reality TV. But under the surface was a much darker reality. Tom had actually been sued dozens of times over at least four decades for botching cases and skimming settlement money from clients. How did Tom grift clients for years and get away with it? Law 360 underwent an extensive investigation, interviewing more than 50 sources and examining thousands of pages of records obtained from courts and the State Bar of California. And the answer's complicated. Tom was able to exploit key legal, structural, and cultural flaws, often with some help from his friends. He had so much money and so much influence and kept building on, on that, and he used it. He used it in very aggressive ways and ways that were unethical. But the reason we have bars is to make sure that stuff like this doesn't continue on. I feel very uncomfortable about our whole system, especially California. I mean, just our whole process of everything. I mean, I sure hope that things can be changed um, with the bar and with reporting things and just, yeah, not giving any lawyer that kind of power. All these lawsuits, bar actions, they shouldn't have been swept under the carpet. You shouldn't have to wait to what happened in Chicago with $2 million owed to families of widows, literally widows and orphans, the plane crash settlement before something happens. Shouldn't be that way. The system failed and the California State Bar failed badly. I'm Amber McKinney. Welcome back to Law 360 Explorers, The Fall of Tom Girardi. In this second episode, we're going to unpack the ways the system failed Tom's victims, the institutional flaws that allowed him to go unchecked, and what all of that says about the legal industry. To break it down, I'm once again joined by Law 360 investigative reporter Brandon Lowry. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. So, Brandon, at the time we're recording this second episode, you've been doggedly reporting on Tom Girardi for about a year. In our first episode, you told us about who Tom is, who his victims are, and how he scammed them. But I know over the course of your reporting, the focus has shifted to answering a pretty big question. Just how did Tom get away with it? I'd like to start there with you today. And to unpack it, I really just wonder, who should have stopped Tom? Well, lots of people. Uh, Judges, other lawyers, law enforcement. But... Ultimately, catching bad lawyers like Tom is the purpose of the State Bar of California. So the buck kind of stops with them. Well, let's talk a bit about how it's supposed to work. What typically happens to an attorney who's allegedly doing something bad? Well, let's say your attorney steals money from you. Ideally, you'd send a complaint against him to the State Bar of California. The the complaint would end up in the hands of someone in the bar's intake office who would look over your accusations and then decide whether the case is worthy of a further investigation. If it is, a non-attorney investigator and a prosecutor would start digging, and usually they would have about six months to either charge and try the attorney uh, in a special state bar court or drop the case. Um, In the state bar court, punishments can include anything from a slap on the wrist to a permanent disbarment. That all sounds pretty straightforward. So um, I I know it's not that easy with the Tom situation. He was 
um, alleged of misdeeds that were very complicated. He's a really prominent, powerful attorney. And he's also got a lot of friends at the California State Bar. So did all of those factors play a role in keeping him out of serious trouble? They really seem to have. Uh, Tom was accused of stealing from client settlements, and that can be a really time-consuming thing to investigate. He had tons of bank accounts, and at the bar, investigators kind of have a working knowledge of how to spot fishy stuff in financial records, but they're not forensic accountants or anything. They're also sometimes responsible for hundreds of cases at a time, and they're under a pressure to resolve them all within about six months. So if you want to put yourself in a bar investigator's shoes and see how this would look in reality, you're busy, you have a ton of work on your desk, and now you're assigned to dig into Tom Girardi, one of the most prominent attorneys in the entire state of California. He's totally lawyered up. He's got a ton of high-profile people in his corner, and the clock's ticking. You have to send out subpoenas. Those can take weeks to process, cost the bar money, and the investigation if it draws on too long, becomes almost like a political football and your bosses start to get really unhappy. Top of that all, Tom has proven to be a master of running down the clock against other attorneys and his own clients. And I've learned he's used some of those tactics with the bar too. Um, He had the resources to fight them by hiring really good, powerful defense attorneys. And interestingly, and maybe not surprisingly, Uh, The bar recently did a study that showed that it was far less likely to discipline attorneys who had defense counsel than those who tried to represent themselves. And take a step back. Remember, I told you that bar investigators could have hundreds of cases they're working on at one time. This is just one case. (laughs) So you put that all together, you have to imagine how daunting this must have looked for investigators, right? It just doesn't seem realistically possible. Yeah, this is absolutely tall, a tall order for a bar. Um, it also seems like Tom really knew how to work the system to avoid consequences. I know your reporting, though, also unearthed some circumstances where Tom's misdeeds d- didn't even make it to the attention of the bar at all. Yeah, yeah. There have been a couple of things at work here. The first problem is that the bar literally relies on lawyers accused of doing bad and dishonest things to tell on themselves. It doesn't work. Uh, I reviewed hundreds of court cases and found at least 37 instances since 1990 where Tom and uh, his firm, Girardi Keys, were supposed to tell the bar about things like malpractice lawsuits filed against them or settling or losing lawsuits that accused them of misconduct. So, of course, the bar has no record of him confessing in any of these instances. Um, The second problem is that a lot of lawyers and clients Uh, believed that Tom Girardi had the bar in his pocket. Uh, He had a lot of friends there, and it wasn't exactly a secret. So they felt that there was no way that the bar would take him to task for anything that they they alleged against him because there was just, he was too well connected there. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of things never made it to the bar at all. Um, But I want to dig in a little more deeply to how you said Tom had a lot of friends at the bar. What does that mean exactly? I mean, is it just that, people looked out for him generally, or was anybody actually, you know, tossing out complaints that did get filed? Well, we don't have any concrete proof that anyone was throwing out complaints against him or influencing investigations, though there's a lot of suspicion that this may have happened. But remember when we were talking in the last episode about Tom's slashy parties? 
Yeah, those are the ones that had things like the Beach Boys playing and um, they were like the hot ticket in town if you were in the legal world. Right. Well, you know, the state bar tended to be pretty well represented at those uh, those parties. A lot of people at the bar were really closely connected to Tom Girardi and his firm. Uh, one of the bar's executive directors was a state senator who received donations from Girardi, and he was also a personal friend. One of the bar's board presidents was a Girardi Keese attorney. And then there's a guy named Tom Layton, who was a rank-and-file investigator at the bar and also a really close friend of Girardi's. These two, they were in constant communication while Layton was working at the bar. To give you an idea, people at the bar used to joke about how Layton was never in the office. Like, it was a running joke. People at Girardi Keese, at the same time, used to assume that Layton was Tom Girardi's bodyguard. While Layton was working at the bar, he constantly used his bar email address to send stuff to Tom. He would send chain emails, um, but also some more troubling things, like resumes from attorneys who were looking for Girardi's support in getting a judgeship. You know, Girardi was on all these state boards, and he was able to have some influence and pull some strings. But these people were sending emails to Tom Layton at his state bar email address, uh, asking them to pass it along to Tom. Uh, Layton also, in some cases, sent tips for potential cases to Girardi Keese attorneys. And, and this, is, this one's kind of odd, too. Layton was actually helping to organize some of Girardi's big parties uh, from his state bar email address. Brandon, that all paints a portrait of a really cozy relationship, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, but we don't really have any smoking gun showing that Layton threw things out, right? Yeah, that's right. There, There is no smoking gun here. We, we don't know that he threw out complaints or ran any kind of interference for Tom with investigations or whatever. But, you know, I, I have to say here also that State Bar keeps all of its investigation records confidential. So we really don't know. What we do know, though, is that the bar never really had a strong handle on conflicts of interest. And I don't think that's changed much. I'd like to talk about how that has stayed largely the same, even though some of the players have changed at the state bar. Your reporting unearthed another really close connection Tom had to a state bar prosecutor. Tell me about that. Well, I found out that a state bar prosecutor named Dale Nowicki was moonlighting in private practice with Tom Girardi's son-in-law. Uh, Nowicki had been involved with Tom's firm for years in this case, but he never told the bar about it, even after he was hired. So this is very much against the bar's policies. Um, and here's why it's a big deal. Nowicki was working under the same manager who was overseeing the bar's current prosecution of Tom Girardi. So while he was going to court with Girardi's son-in-law, he was also working alongside the people trying to disbar Girardi. After I'd collected enough records to really be sure that he'd violated bar policies, I called Nowicki and I sent him an email showing exactly what I'd found. Turned out he sent his resignation letter to the bar the very same day that I emailed him. That seems like a pretty big coincidental bit of timing there, Brandon. Um, you, you send him your request to comment on this apparent conflict and he promptly resigns. Did the bar have any idea before your reporting that this was happening? They did not. It was news to them. Um, I want to emphasize this was all in the public record in the state court system. So the bar could have found this if it was looking for it, but it hadn't been. Um, you know, and, and I also want to be clear, Nowicki had only been working at the bar since 2020, which is way after most of the stuff that Tom has been accused of. 
And the bar told me also that Nowicki had not done any work on any Girardi-related cases. But still, if a conflict this obvious is happening with the bar's highest profile case ever, it kind of shows that the agency isn't great at rooting out conflicts. Yeah, I mean, a lot has clearly come out about the the core problems at the California bar. I would imagine as this has unraveled, the bar has been taking a close look at itself. What kind of fixes are in the works? Well, the bar has come up with a bunch of recommendations for fixes. Um, some of them sound pretty good, but there's also plenty of reason to worry. We talked about how investigators struggle with financial cases because of time limits and lack of expertise, right? Well, the bar is trying to loosen up those time limits, and that's probably a great idea, but it needs state lawmakers to sign off on that. And the bar also wants to hire some forensic accountants, which sounds great, but it wants them to use them to perform random audits of trust accounts. They think it would cost about $3 million every year to audit about 500 accounts. Obviously, that sounds like a lot of money, but that's not the biggest problem with this. The bar doesn't know how many client trust accounts there are in the state, where they are, or how much money they hold. That makes sense to me, Brandon, because you said earlier, even just Girardi himself had potentially hundreds of accounts. Right, right. You know, and and after the Girardi scandal, I think the bar realized that it needs this information to do a better job of watching these accounts and making sure that lawyers aren't stealing from them. But... It isn't planning on asking banks to report new trust accounts to the bar. The plan is to require lawyers to report all of their own trust accounts. So you remember how well self-reporting works with bad lawyers, right? If you're planning on stealing, you're not about to go tell a bar where it is you might steal from, right? I mean, obviously not. It it seems like self-reporting has clearly failed, and now we're introducing just more self-reporting. One thing I wanted to ask you while we're talking about these possible fixes is, what about the conflicts? I mean, we've we've laid out some some reporting you've done on conflicts of interest at the bar. Are they going to address that really systemic problem? You know, that's that's another thing. They, the bar has acknowledged that there have been conflicts. You know, they, they can't exactly deny it at this point, but they haven't really put forward any plans, anything specific to fix them. They just say that it's something they're looking at. So lots of problems remain, a lot of work for the bar to do to clean itself up. Um, let's return to just the case of Tom himself um, and and where we are at the end of a year of all of this coming out. What's going on with the actual victims in this whole mess? Will they ever get their money back? It's really unclear. Uh, I think people tend to fixate on Tom's mansion or his wife's jewelry or other things that we usually think about as big ticket items that you get a lot of money for. But in Tom's case, I think his most valuable assets were actually the cases that his firm was handling when it went into bankruptcy. Jordy Keese was a big plaintiff's firm, and it was handling thousands of cases. And some of these cases had million-dollar values. You know, it could, they could settle for millions or get gigantic jury verdicts. In fact, he was handling a bunch of clients in major litigation that just settled for $1.8 billion, billion with a B. So Jardy Keese was going to be entitled to a chunk of that. How much of that will actually filter down to clients, though, is anyone's guess. Uh, To get an idea, though, we can look at the sale of one of Tom's houses. A bankruptcy trustee just sold Tom's golf resort home for one and a quarter million dollars. 
So remember Jardy's client, Kathy Rogomez, who spoke with us in the last episode? Yeah, I definitely remember Kathy's story. Her son was the one that was injured in a pipeline explosion, and Tom owes that family still millions of dollars. Right. And actually, she and her family are in the best position of any of Tom's former clients to get their money back. Um, They were entitled to 80% of the proceeds from that sale. So that would be a good start in paying them back if we start with $1.25 million and they get 80% of that. But they're not just getting 80% of the $1.25 million. You have to take off taxes, HOA dues, fees for the broker, bankruptcy trustee, the bankruptcy trustee's lawyers, and all that other stuff. And the number drops down to $730,000. And we're still not done. The Rua Gomez family also has their own lawyers to pay. In the end, they only ended up with $345,000 from a $1.25 million sale. Tom owes over $100 million to creditors, and that number's probably only going to go up. So how much money actually needs to be covered in order to make everybody whole? I have no idea, but it's going to be a lot. This whole mess, when you put it in those stark terms about what could happen with the victims, the way the bar is still working through their own problems to prevent a future Tom Girardi situation, it feels pretty bleak, Brandon. Um, After a whole year of reporting on Tom Girardi, What do you think this says about the legal system? You know, when I started this, I thought it was a story of just one bad lawyer, maybe, you know, or maybe a a couple or maybe just a firm. I I, I didn't know. But I think that I had the same general impression as everybody else did, that our legal system isn't perfect, but it's generally pretty fair and it's generally pretty safe. Tom Girardi, I think, has called that into question. And I don't think it's just about one lawyer doing bad things or one firm doing bad things. It's about a lot of people and a lot of systems that purport to keep people safe from bad lawyers, but have failed for over 40 years. Uh, I think that this this case could be a book or, or an, an, a whole textbook or a series of textbooks about what can go wrong in our legal system and ruin people's lives. Brandon, I hope this is made into a textbook um, because there's a lot of lessons we can learn from this very sordid story of a lawyer gone wrong and a system that let him do it. I know you're reporting, even though it's been a whole year of this, it's, it's not over. There's many cases yet to unfold. We'll see where all of this lands. But thank you so much for explaining the story of Tom Girardi. Yeah, it's been eye-opening. Happy to talk about it. This concludes our look at the fall of Tom Girardi. We'd like to thank all of the talented Law360 staffers who made the show possible, including our investigative reporter Brandon Lowry and our excellent producer Stephen Trader. We'd also like to thank senior reporter Ryan Boyson and our graphic designer Chris Yates. For more on all things Girardi, go to our website, law360.com slash explores. Thanks for listening.